You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always will be my good friend Frank Madden, as well as Mike Clutterbuck, the former director of basketball analytics for the Milwaukee Bucks, as well as this kind air conditioning unit that is here while I'm on vacation. I wanted to give you guys just a little bit of an intro to this episode so we don't just jump right into the conversation. Uh, Next week will be draft week. We'll be talking about a whole bunch of stuff at that point. We'll figure out exactly what it is that we need to cover then, but um, we're going to try to do that. We're going to try to have another guest next week, so hopefully we'll have everything covered for you for the draft next Thursday. Also, if you want to follow along with Locked On NBA. We are doing our mock draft right now where all of the respective Locked On podcasts served as the general managers for any of the, or excuse me, for the teams that they were representing. So if you want to listen to those, those are over at Locked On NBA. The Bucks pick should be coming out uh, here on Friday. So be sure to listen to Locked On NBA if you want to see what Frank and I decided with the 17th pick of the draft. Did we trade it? Did we trade down? Did we trade up? Did we uh, try to, let's see, uh, did we try to trade Eric Bledsoe? Did we try to trade for Kemba Walker? Did we take on Nikola Batum's contract like I did in the previous one? All those things you have to see and find out um, when you listen to Locked on NBA uh, on Friday afternoon. So with all of that being said, we are going to continue with our conversation with Mike Clutterbuck. Uh, this time we ended up talking about what we had hopefully uh, brought him in to actually discuss, which was uh, the draft and his draft model. So that is what happens on uh, this part, this second part of our conversation. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. With all that being said, we'll see you on Monday. Here we go. Frank, any other general things before we hit up the draft? The actual reason we had Mike on the podcast? <laughs> we we lured him in with draft with draft stuff because Mike really is excited about the draft, and then we just we just oh, spent really? an hour talking about yeah. not draft stuff. Um, no, why don't we why don't we dig into it? I mean, I think I think one question just is like philosophically, like you know, it, there's a ton of people now who are you know doing kind of public models where you know they use historical like NCAA data and historical NBA data and do kind of like translational sort of work to figure out, you know, like, you know, guys who looked like this in college, like how does it translate to the pros? Obviously, you know, similar stuff for players in Europe. Um, I mean, talk to us just sort of conceptually about like, how do you think, I mean, you know, and again, and and again, I I think probably we need to clarify too. I mean, it's not like any of us are saying that that you just view uh, a draft process as you know a box a box of statistics and you don't ignore you know you don't watch guys and things like that but maybe, maybe this year not the past you know not when i worked for a team when i did actually watch a lot of college <laughs> basketball but maybe this year <laughs> but we're gonna about to, we're about to find out probably so so yeah. i guess just philosophically i mean what should people understand about like you know what you believe are kind of like the most statistically sound analytically sound ways of of trying to you know, really quantify players and and try to go beyond just saying like, well, that guy's like really tall and fast and dunks a lot and can shoot, so he's going to be a great player. I mean, what what kind of things do you look at, and how do you kind of leverage analytics to to kind of you know paint the best possible picture of, of how these guys stack up? Ooh, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> we got a half an hour, so take your time. Oh, all right, excellent. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I always feel like. When I started doing draft models, and even when I, you know, when I'm doing it now, which is just I basically like built everything from the ground up again because I had to. Um, I kind of just threw in the things that I thought mattered. I guess like you'd throw in the box score stats, you'd 
you'd throw in maybe some some conference data um like my model this year i tried to split things out into regular you know like all the whole season top 25 stats top 100 stats um and through the help of uh will schriefer i think um i think that's his name i was able to throw in like a lot of more a lot more like play-by-play type stats so you know assisted two-point jumpers or unassisted two-point jumpers because that you know seems to be a a thing that people talk about, which is like a good indicator of can this guy actually create like something. shoot and create yeah. and score. Um, I don't know. I mean, usually I just the the way I approach almost a lot of models is not not just basketball. It's just I kind of throw the kitchen sink at it, and then I let a lot of feature selection algorithms. So that's bas- they're basically algorithms that are trying to test you know whether this this is worth including or not. I kind of let that pare it down a little bit, so I get more of a tailored model that I hope isn't overfitting the history. You know, I, I would say this, a good draft model shouldn't always be right. It, it would defeat the purpose because then it's just descriptive and not predictive. Um, you're Like my model right now that, that I created still hates Jalen Brown. So I mean, yeah, and it, like it's completely. And it should have probably right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. Like, there's <laughs> nothing. All of my models would agree as well. <laughs> right, like there's nothing statistically he did in college that that like should pop out to you, other than incorporating some of the more like uh, what was his RSCI rank? You know, yeah, he was a high recruit. Yeah, right, high recruit. Um, if you're thro- I forget if he even did like combine stuff. I don't think he did maybe he did um you know like the the measurable the physical measurables and whatnot and do you do you have like a dummy variable for a sweet flat top is that part of the (laughs) again that would be overfitting (laughs) to 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 the data um you know so like it's a tricky business with draft models because you know if you're doing it the right way you've got your holdout set which is all right i'm gonna look at all players you know maybe from 2001 to 2012 and I'm gonna train my model on that kind of learn all the relationships from that and then I'm gonna look at how well do those relationships predict 2013 to 2015 or whatever so you get that list and inevitably it's it I would say it's really tough for even for myself to look at a list like I can I can get five guys on the top of that list where I'm like that makes sense like those guys should be there. And then there's one guy where I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. Like this thing is so wrong on him. It's <laughs> absolutely like, it is undoubtedly wrong on him. And it, and it kind of takes a lot of restraint to, to balance that. Okay. It is going to be wrong. Sometimes on average, it'll be more right than wrong. And that's kind of where the process quote unquote comes in where if you do things in a systematic way, you can go back and evaluate kind of how that model did and how, how those things kind of have played out. I would say I'm, you mentioned, you mentioned 2001. I think one, that's one interesting thing. I know we talked about a little earlier. Um, you know, when I first started looking at sort of these, like, I guess I might call them like sort of translational models that tried to project sort of, based on what people did in college as well as, you know, some, you know, things like height, wingspan, you know, sort of like some anthropomorphic kind of things plus, you know, like RSCI, you know, tried to kind of take the kitchen sink approach a little bit like you're describing. You know, Lane Vashro was a guy. I think Lane is still and he's, with. And he's the best, I, w- I would say, yeah. of, of anybody. I mean, I don't know what he's doing now. I assume it's even better just because he works for the, you know, the Cranky organization. Is that how you pronounce right. the name? Cranky? Cranky? Cranky, Cranky, yeah. The Cranky, Cranky, Cranky. And, yeah. And Avalanche I mean, and all the, the, the Colorado teams, yeah. yeah. And, and I remember Lane, when he, I think when Lane was first doing it, um, he was using, I think, like, stats from, like, 1980 onwards. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing now because I think now, and I'm sure Lane is, is doing something similar, and, and I know we've talked about it, but the sport has changed so much that, you know, what made guys translate well in the mid 80s just isn't the same as what makes guys translate 
today and and i guess that, that may, i don't know if you, i don't know if there's much to say about that other than just sort of like yeah like the game's change you have to kind of shift your approach because of it but um i mean are there any other things like that that you kind of when you when you bake in sort of your approach that you like maybe do now that you wouldn't have done a few years ago i feel like that often will will come on the the like post side of doing a model I, I mean i think especially just kind of looking at the players that will probably be talking about yeah i've got my big board ranking that says like you know what they're 18th or something you know they're 18 on the board but then you actually dig into some of the more individual stats that you might not have data on to actually include in a model like especially a lot of the play-by-play stats those are only from 2009 on so immediately you're trimming your sample size a ton um but i i kind of i'll look i'll look at kind of the the general model the full model i would say like the way i did it was i ran a full model that kind of just ran through my kitchen sink you know popped out the variables that it said were important tested it so that it wasn't overfitting and then i would kind of look at the mini model where I did include some of those play-by-play stats and and see, okay, like, how did this guy move? And I think those type of things can start to tell you a little bit more about um, the relationships and how the game has changed. I know you probably saw that, I mean, you probably saw the argument, the reason you're asking the question is the argument on Twitter, I think, from Steve Iardi, who used to work for Phoenix, and then Lane even chimed in a little bit as well, where Steve Iardi was saying, and I hope I'm pronouncing this name right, um, just that, right, those, those things, like a big man in the 90s is a lot different than a big man in 2000, you know, in, the, in 2015. And then I kind of agreed, I, like I, I agreed with him, and then Lane chimed in and he said, you know, that's true, but the level that draft models work on, I don't, I don't know if the nuances of that are necessarily important. And I also kind of agreed with Lane, where I was like, yeah, you're kind of right. Like, I mean, this isn't a super exact science or anything. I think just the fact that these models do tend to work out better than the actual draft order is telling you that, okay, they, they are operating at a better level. But then that started... You know, I think Steve responded and he said, okay, but what about those guys that are just, like, unplayable in the playoffs? They have really, you know, Ryan Anderson. Yeah. You know, was great in the regular season, became unplayable, like, in the playoffs. So that had me thinking, like, well, should I just start predicting players' playoff stats? Like, if that's (laughs) what matters, I mean – so again, it's it, it's it's a tricky business. Like that's it's a great question, and I don't know. It, it's a it's a trade off between including more players and less. I think I would lean on the side of Lane slightly. That is, like, going back to 1990 is worthwhile. Like having having that observation of what Shaquille O'Neal did. Like I'm pretty sure Shaquille O'Neal would dominate in this era, era as well. He would. <laughs> I mean, so maybe for the average player, it's a little bit different. But I, I think having those relationships going back in history of like this guy was really, really good, and I, I think we can be pretty sure he'd be really, really good now. Or also, this guy was like really terrible, and the stats just say like don't touch him with a ten foot pole. <laughs> I think. I think those those relationships still matter today. Whereas I think if you go into that kind of the big middle tier, like the the middle of the distribution, that's where I think more of that role and era stuff might tend to matter. So one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was since I was in the room, I can confirm that you got to be there for draft workouts. Like you yes. would be there. And again, yeah. I don't get to do that anymore because the draft workouts are not public anymore. But right. at the time I would see you, I would see Seth, I would see a, whole, a yeah. whole big part of the staff there for draft workouts. Yep. And I'm curious, <laughs> just was there ever a, like, I, 
if you have that many people, like I feel like there must be some value in seeing that person in person during this workout. Like, what do you feel you get out of that? Because again, a lot of times, maybe it's an individual workout. Maybe it's three on three, like a chair workout. It, maybe it's a chair workout. Like you're not, <laughs> you're not going to be able to actually see. Like right. they're not, they're going to play a game. Like a game's not right. going to bust out on this practice floor. Like it's going to be very specific. Like so, what did you feel like you actually? could find there and again don't tell me i saw Giannis work i was like that's the guy but like oh. i missed that work that, that was a bit before me i wish i, I wish i would have seen it I, I i did get to see some pretty good workouts um but i but i would say this like i don't i don't know if there were any workouts that definitively changed my opinion on someone i think workouts are mm, if you you should have an opinion about someone before you go see a workout, and I, I think they would have to just be so incredible just to like wipe that away, like because there's so many variables. There's just maybe this guy had a really good matchup in terms of the groups of guys that you brought in, yeah. and and I think teams always try, and you know like they. They try and get workouts really good. They try and bring in people who will match up well against each other. They'll try and, you know, if they're trying to decide between two people, they'll, they'll you know, at the same position, they'll probably try and get them to work out against each other. But it's, it's ignoring the whole other side, which is agents know that. Yeah. Agents know that they don't want their players to look bad. Like, And, I mean, every year we say this when someone so, – the Bucks workouts have an individual workout, and people on the podcast will be like, "Oh, that must mean they like them." And I'm like, "No, that means the agent knows that they should do an individual workout and not go up against someone else." Like right. that, exactly. That is more what it's about than the team saying, "Oh, we don't want to see this yeah. guy compete against anyone." Because of course, the team wants to see them compete. Right. Against exactly. Yeah. Every team would love that opportunity yeah. to bring in like all five of the, oh. you know, top five guards and just have them go at each other. But then you're also ignoring, like, okay, how do they do when a big switches onto them? You yeah. know, there's just so many variables, and so I, so I think for me, I, I always thought that the one thing I could tell with workouts was like fake hustle mm. versus legit hustle versus not caring as, at all. <laughs> like there are some guys that you could, I don't know whether it was like they didn't want to be here or they were super tired, which I totally believe there's some guys that are just like 10 days straight yeah. of just you know seeing the same exact guys playing against the same exact people um but i always felt like i could have a really good sense of when there was a guy who knew he wasn't as good as someone else but he would just talk he would talk be clapping his hands <laughs> getting into people's faces like talking trash I, I and then there were the guys who talked trash who could actually back it up. <laughs> so I always thought that like you you could definitely get a good sense I think of like mentality. Yeah. I think of like drive and especially if you have them go, you know, go out to dinner or go meet with, you know, a bunch of different people in your organization and whatnot. You can get a good sense of drive, which I think I, is is kind of an underrated thing to look at like a lot of people, I would say a lot of fans, don't get a very good insight into. Most, I, most I was, I was, oh, I, sorry, I would just add that like most players will have their school paper, like write a puff, you know, like they can write a puff piece on like, oh, this guy's like works so hard. Yeah. He loves, you know, he loves basketball and whatnot. But I don't think it's really until you get to see them play at that point in a workout or interview like with people in your organization that you actually get a sense of like does this guy give a shit mm-hmm. like does, I, he, does he matter you know i, I was gonna say mike and i, I was interrupting you because because i'm the one that matters in this podcast damn it um <laughs> no i was gonna i was gonna ask because you know as you're talking about workouts you know and, and that's obviously for those of us on the outside you know we view workouts as literally just workouts right but i think you know at times we've heard allusions to like Thon maker and like his makeup and the way he like psychologically tested and you know yeah. occasionally we see these like little little glimpses into kind of the bigger process right um i mean can you maybe talk a little bit just like you know in general like nba teams and you were obviously getting into it there but you know i mean you hear stories about like the due diligence that teams do about you know talking to 
your college team's managers to see like is this guy a jerk is he you know a good dude like you know what is he like i mean there's obviously psychological testing the interviews you guys mentioned um i mean how like i guess it it's it seems like there's really it really the process is really much broader than i think certainly what we do uh, you know on on nba twitter right where you know we go and watch you know uh, an 8 minute youtube highlight reel and look at his stats and decide you know I like the look of that guy. He's right. got huge upside, Speaking right? Speaking of Versus. which, I, I really miss the Draft Express. Oh, yeah. Like 8-minute, 10-minute video. Oh. No, but not even just because it's like brick wall behind ESPN, but the music. Yeah. yeah. Draft Classic. Express music used to be <laughs> – God, that would psych me up so much when I would watch I can hear it in my head days. now. Right. I can hear it in my head now. I mean, it is like Lord of the Rings-esque. Like, <laughs> just epic. It was super yeah, – yeah. Exactly. yeah. Anyways, continue. No, but I was gonna say, I mean, like, what what kind of parts of like the draft process do NBA teams do that maybe maybe fans don't appreciate? I mean, obviously we we know that they go through the workouts, we know that you know they'll do interviews. I mean, are there other kind of like really important things that that you think people maybe don't appreciate from the outside that are you know more important than than you know? Because I think a lot of it, especially when guys slip on draft night, right? And a lot of right. fans get pissed off because the guy who you know, was really exciting falls in the draft. Um, I mean, how much, like, how often do you think, like, it is kind of like the intel that teams have that maybe fans don't ever see is, is driving that kind of stuff? Oh, it's, it's absolutely that. I mean, it, it, especially just from, like, being at Sloan and, Sometimes, like, getting to talk to other people and about just kind of their, their like, scouting process and, and, like, never any details or anything, but just kind of the process and how many people they have devoted to that kind of information. It's, like, it, it's absolutely all that. There, there's just so much in terms of learning about who a guy is and like medical information not from not just from your own team like getting your own docs to look at him but like teams like kind of like sharing that information like a lot of times you'll have to ask like a team to to like share something that they've done like they're you know something like that um i I would say most of the time when someone drops in the draft it is because like there there is a I'll, i'll say this there's a reason they dropped it's not it's not just because like like these teams just totally overlooked this guy like (laughs) i don't know what it is it's no there there is and i don't know if often that information is enough to make them drop that low i think sometimes there's like a little bit of overreaction to that information um but most of the time and i would say like this doesn't even extend to the draft but like even when it comes to like why why isn't this guy playing or you know stuff like that it's like mo- more often than not there is a reason and like like i know like when a coach doesn't play a player everyone's like oh he's in the doghouse like that's the cliche thing to say it's like he's in the doghouse but There's it's probably a reason right like there there probably is a reason for that maybe not like but there probably is a reason because like Coach, coaches more often than not will not actively try and harm their team. Like, to, it, it just won't happen for the most part. Like, so, I mean, yeah, like, I would say it's definitely just information that people aren't privileged to. And, and that's, that's where you get, like, hot takes on, on sports radio, you know, like when Eric is probably spouting off on espn 540 <laughs> about something or other it's like yeah like there's a reason for it probably he, he saves his spiciest takes for espn ashwabanan but oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, um, what, what about espn wales or like delafield ooh. that's that's where okay I'm from, okay so we'll we'll see Bring up I, wales I next time okay i haven't been over there in a while i'll have to go check it yeah. check out the office um frank anything else general you want to talk about before we uh <laughs> hit up the model and you know actually get into uh, this in, actual model in the 13, no. in the thirteen minutes we have left. <laughs> no, no, I was gonna say maybe, yeah, and maybe Mike, the best way to do this is maybe you can talk about maybe some guys that that the model really likes, and then maybe some guys that, that your model doesn't like. Maybe that you know the the consensus maybe would. I want to start at the top them. of the draft. Like, what is okay. like some people? Obviously, you're trying to figure out like Aiton, Doncic, like, yeah, Bagley, I, J- Triple J. Like, uh, I will, I will say I'm too lazy to do international stats. Okay. So personally, 
I would probably have Doncic my number one. I I don't know. I just like it's somewhat rational, but also like an irrational love for that guy. Like I just think he's on another like plane in terms of a guy that supposedly is like very unathletic. Like he he just like still gets it done. Like it's kind of reminds me like Paul Pierce almost, where Mm -hmm. it's just like how does this guy get his shot off? Like he's so slow. Yeah, but but like. Doncic can do it. Um, I also just feel like international guys get a bad rap for some reason or another. Just, you know, you know they're automatically... I had a discussion with, on Twitter with someone about this. Like, they're automatically labeled raw. Where yeah. it's like, uh, Doncic is playing against competition that's probably far better than anybody in college. Yeah. Like, and he's killing it. Yeah. Um, so, like, top of the draft for, like, in my model... Um, Jaron Jackson and uh, Wendell Carter Jr. have kind of traded places almost. Like um, I believe Wendell Carter Jr. is number one in mine, just kind of based on my full model. But when I start to throw in some like play-by-play stuff, Jaron Jackson shows up. Um, yeah, like let me just actually check it out right now. Um, yeah, uh, Aiden. You know, Aiden's number two. I know one guy that that has shown up for me that I'm not sure if I quite believe he's this high, but like Jared Vanderbilt has shown up like in the top five, like throughout the season for me. And I know he, you know, can't really shoot or any, you know, like he can't shoot, but like, he's a big guy. His like rebounding numbers are crazy. His block numbers, like putbacks. Like, I think when I was looking at his top 25, type games which like for him actually makes sense just because they play a lot of top 25 games um they like he was really good um he had like pretty good assist numbers for for a big guy and he's like fringe first roundy right now right right exactly um and and i think he like if i remember throughout the year there was more talk about him i feel like but now he's kind of been dropping um like he's definitely like a sheer will type of guy. Like he attempts to score it, sheer will. He's doesn't not necessarily the most efficient at it, but like he's a guy who just he, he you know he's really good at the stats that tend to translate well into the NBA. Like yeah. so that that's why he shows up, and that kind of gets back to the whole like, are we valuing big guys like the exact same? But like I think someone like him, where like his numbers were good enough in those translatable stats that, like, he'll probably be a, a solid player. Um, let's see, uh, Trey Young. Trey Young was, like, fascinating to me just because he shows up pretty well in my model, and, again, I'm not sure if I believe it per se, but I saw someone tweeting about his, like, kind of, like, creation, offensive creation stats, and, like, they're legendary. Yeah. Like... Nobody even comes close to him. So that, so there's those things that it's not on my model, but, like, I see those kind of peripheral stats, and I'm like, good Lord. Like, again, like, nobody's even close. Yeah. Like, not even close. Like, I think in the end, like, his off, like his creation or his, like, offensive load metric was, like, in the end, whatever this, you know, number, it's a 50 or whatever, but, like, the clo- I think Steph was at, like, 41. And most people... <laughs> And most people think that, like, Steph, I mean, like, he was that entire Davidson yeah. team. Um, so so there, there, there are those stats that, you know, if the Bucks were to, like, trade up for, like, Trey Young, that would make me feel a little bit better that, okay, he is, kind, you know, he's an offense guy, but he's also just, like, too, it's not like Buddy Heald, I would say, where, like, he, you know, he was in there for four years, he never, I would say, like, you'd like to see a guy who is in school for four years kind of, like, produce at the same rate when you equate it, like, per 40 style. Like, Buddy was one of those guys who kind of, like, grew into more minutes, but, like, also his per 40s, like, if I remember correctly, weren't exactly the same. Um, he's not like Buddy, where, like, it's his offense was, like, I feel... I like I'm even a little questionable like about that like his offensive capability but like Trey it's just like 
these numbers are outrageous. Like, I, I cannot, like, deny these numbers. Um, looking at, like, I think some of the guys that, like, Cole, you know, that you guys talked about with Cole, like, D'Anthony Melton is one that I think I have him, you know, roughly around, sorry, my spreadsheet is, like, 3,000 3, variables long. Yeah, 12-ish. I think in this one, for some reason, I have him at 8. I've been doing various iterations. <laughs> um, you know, I thought I thought he was an interesting one just because you guys, like, a lot of the stuff that Cole said, like, absolutely comes through. Like, in ter- especially, like, in terms of, like, defensive, like, prowess, I would say. Um, like, his, his defensive box plus minus impact was great. Um, you know, stocks, steel blocks guy. Um, but... Like, I remember Cole was saying that, like, he's an ideal fit to Giannis, like, next to Giannis. And I was like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't think his stats really, like, not a great three-point shooter. Which I think if there was one thing that everybody would agree, like, around Giannis, it's like three-point shooting. We need three-point shooters, whether off the dribble or catch and shoot. Um, And, like, I, I think I saw that just, like, in terms of, ball handling and like having the ball like I think when I looked at him his turnover like the breakdown of his turnovers he tended to make I, I would say like more bad decision turnovers than like offensive fouls mm-hmm. or you know yeah. stuff like that I think like a lot of his turnovers came from like opponent steals um I think he you know he struggled to finish at the rim a little bit but he also was like a low assisted at the rim guy like being assisted at the yeah, rim obviously helps you convert at the rim. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I would say of the guys that Cole talked about, um, Zara Smith, um, he's pretty high on, on my board. I'm not, again, I'm not sure if I completely believe where he is. Um, I, I kind of looking at my spreadsheet now. I kind of trimmed it down into guys that, like, we were talking about, like, Great, great stocks guy, which again are like steals and blocks tend to translate well. Um, shot well from three, but like again, not doesn't have to doesn't have to dis, you know like the attempts, which is a little bit worrying. Um, but like again, like great, like those type of people, like those those types of players, like his frame. And his like block numbers, I feel like that that is always something that like intrigues me. Um, is there are, are there certain things? I think one thing you keep talking about steals and blocks come through, uh, assist rate for bigs. Yeah. To, what are some of the what are some of the projectable numbers that you want to see from a college prospect that makes you think? Okay, what he did in college can actually translate to the pros. Sure, um, I think like rebound, like rebound steals and blocks. From what I remember, and I haven't run this stuff in a while, um, but I think there was a there was a post from maybe like Aaron Barzlai a long time. Actually, maybe John Nichols. I, I think when he was blogging a long time ago, like steals, rebounds, and blocks, like those tend to be pretty translatable i would say except like maybe when it comes to like louisville or syracuse players who tend to have like inflated numbers um shots fired at mcw right right yeah (laughs) um yeah those guys tend to have inflated numbers but then again like uh let's see what else i think there are some team like when i built this new model there are definitely some team variables that tended to matter that to me makes sense. Um, like team defensive free throw rate, you would think like kind of on the outset, like what what would that potentially mean about a player? And to me, it's like well, he probably played in a pretty well structured system on average, like a team that doesn't foul a lot. Yeah. Like that's that's probably a good thing. Like I can see how that kind of like feeds into a player's projection. It's just the environment he's around. Um, Otherwise, I think one of the things I've had more success with this, like with this model that I've built recently, is just kind of 
looking at, I would say, like a lot of the stats that people have created in the NBA to like try and like generalize some of these box score stats into like, you know, like DRE, like daily RAPM estimate was like a nylon calculus thing. So like pretty much in all my college models, like I don't try and tweak it or anything. I just throw it in there. Like, so interactions between like that single game impact and age, like together. Okay. Um, like age is always like a pretty big one. Um, so yeah, I would, I'd probably say like those things, like I, I could probably look at the model right now, but, um, or the code right now, but I would I would probably say like those steals, blocks, and rebounds are pretty translatable. There are some team characteristics that I think like you want a guy coming from a certain environment. Uh, and I'd probably have to think what else I'd have to to look back at it. Yeah, I was going to ask because I mean you mentioned Trey Young. I think, and again, I know you've been tweaking your model. I know one of the versions, the list that we had. Trey Young and, and Shea Gilgis Alexander were, were right next to each other in the top ten of this this one version at least, and yeah. um, I, I find that so fascinating. Because I mean, you know, Eric and I have talked a lot about obviously kind of debated the value of drafting a point guard. I'm, I'm obviously kind of much more like pro <laughs> rolling the dice on a point guard. I think we both agree on Trey Young being kind of really interesting just because you know he uh, he he's the idealized like better dj augustine that that eric has now set his, <laughs> set his heart on right you keep, right. Doing, you keep painting me in this car and i don't appreciate it <laughs> hey man you I, I i'm still mad about I, the cory mcgetty line because that was bs that was that was a straight to like yeah I, you know I, um i thought that was pretty i was walking my dog and listening to that podcast i think two days ago when i was like ooh cory mcgetty <laughs> yeah that that you know i was i was very uh i think i was very polite but that was um that was pretty disrespectful to throw Corey Maggette in your face. But I think it is interesting because, I mean, Trey, we've talked about Trey, and he's just sort of this crazy outlier, you know, shooter, but also just, like, the, the playmaking, right? Like, the assist rate is just insane. Um, and Shea Alexander is, is, is really interesting to me, though, because he's so – I mean, he's very different, obviously, right? I mean, he's yes. six six seven foot wingspan. I mean, he looks like a wing, basically, from right. kind of a measurables perspective. But he obviously plays like a point guard, but he's also not – you know, he's not, like, a crazy athlete. He's just, like – you know, you watch him, he's just like super like slippery and slithery. And, yeah. you know, he just, I think he, I want to say he also had like very high, like, un, I think you mentioned like unassisted like jumper rates and things like that. And I think he was pretty good in, in those departments. And, sure. you know, it just kind of like seemed to be a guy who kind of took control of that Kentucky team, even though he wasn't necessarily the, you know, the biggest recruit there, but kind of really grew into a big role. And um, I, I find him really interesting because, and in part of it, Eric, I think too, is like a guy like him I find interesting because. He's not just, you know, you could see him playing the two or, or heck, even defending maybe some threes. So I, yeah. even if you draft him as a point guard, it's not like, you know, Trey Young, he's going to have to be a defending point, point guard, right? right? Yeah. Versus a guy like like SGA is maybe you know, more certainly more malleable defensively. And, and I, so I don't know. I don't know if you had any kind of specific thoughts on him um, because I think he's a really interesting player just because he does seem to come out looking good in a lot of these kind of models. And he's also obviously a guy who played at, you know, a big name system. Nobody's, you know, particularly worried about drafting Kentucky guys. But he's also not like a typical Kentucky guy. And, and he's also right. not a typical point guard. I've kind of like that. That's funny that you say like he's not a typical Kentucky guy. Like that's almost kind of what I was thinking. Um, it, I, I really... I, I I like him. Like I I do love again again what you said. Like what's interesting about him? It's like it's not like he's a like a brute force athlete that just like dunks so you know like that just through sheer physical force can like convert at the rim. It's just that like this guy can get to the rim. Like when it seems like whenever he wants. I think like when I was looking at even just like overall positions, not just not just like point guards or wings or anything he was like 80th or like 85th percentile and like unassisted short two-point jumpers so like when you're putting him even against like some of those bigger wings or like even the centers who like post and like actually dribble so they're not assisted like he look he looks really great like and the passing numbers are good the, if i remember correctly like the steel numbers are pretty solid like blocks not so much but eh like he he's an interesting guy because I I've tended to see this this type of player that and it's one of the reasons why I always kind of throw whenever I'm like 
projecting someone, I'm looking at multiple metrics, so like PER, BPM, RAPM, player impact plus minus, which is like one of the ones that I was I was using this year. Um, like his BPM like numbers were incredibly solid compared to like a a somewhat I would say for college like pedestrian PER. Like the guy, I, I would say that that kind of like disparity between like the, that like BPM plus minus versus PER is maybe illustri- illustrative of like, all right, this guy like has a, has like a really like tangible impact on yep. the game on like on a plus minus basis more than just like, more than just like scoring, which like PER is like tending to, tending to reward because like he really didn't score at like a fantastic rate or anything. Like 17 points per 40 is, you know, not, not when, when you're comparing it often to like a lot of other guards in college, like you're looking at guys in like the 20 to 25 range or something like that. But yeah, I, I, I wonder about, again, we, you guys often talk about like that three point shooting ability and like, is that, I would say it's, he didn't really take that many. I would say, and this is just from knowing kind of what Andrew Johnson wrote on Nylon Calculus about like um, like how to project three-point percentage because it is something that's really hard to project. It's really variable. He's, his free throw percentage is fantastic, um, like 80, 82%. That's great. Um, shoots 40% from three, even though not many attempts. Like That would lead me more on the side of like okay i think this guy can hopefully like shoot so all right i think that i think that's interesting because i I remember actually lane vastro posting years ago like just some some raw just like correlations of you know college stats to pro stats and you rebounds assist block rebounds block steals i think runs that did translate very well um i think you know steve von horn and i going way back you know would always talk about how steals seem to be something that you know are good are good indicators not just of, of steals in, in the pros but also just general sort of athleticism right. functional athleticism um but also I, I just remember lane the data he posted you know free throw percentage seemed to have a better translation to pro three-point shooting than actual college three-point shooting and probably a lot of it might have been just sample size and i don't know just sort of taking some of the variability out of the data you know because the free throws are free throwers sure. you know guys obviously shoot three point you know three point shooting in college obviously you know is really situational um right but I, but it, I, I think you're like i think you're right and i think kevin pelton like redid that study with more data more data and he found he found that same thing the free throw percentage was more indicative of future three point percentage than like college three which kind of makes sense just like i i remember stepping onto the 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 Bucks practice court for like one of the first times I played basketball and I had never shot an NBA three before <laughs> and I like I was like oh my god like th- this is far <laughs> and then I like stepped forward to the college line I'm like are you kidding me like this is a jumper like yeah yeah I mean it, it, it's sure. very different and then also just you know how ma- how many of your threes are from the corner versus above the break like there I think there are different aspects to college three-point shooting that probably are more indicative of three-point shooting ability than just like raw three-point percentage yourself or itself so frank got to ask about a couple point guards yeah Uh, you've mentioned a couple wing guys but i feel like there's another batch of wing players and i guess i'll probably ask about them and then you can kind of just let me know where your head is at on any of them um but i'm kind of thinking of the group of like oh man uh lonnie walker troy brown kevin herter um maybe chandler hutchison jacob evans I feel like there's just kind sure. of a, a batch of wings there that I don't know from the outside if I feel a, a whole lot about them. I know DeAnthony Melton's one that you said kind of sticks out already yeah. to you with the numbers. Do any of those other either stick out to you in a good way or possibly a bad way? Um, Kevin Huerta sticks out. Um, I think he was right around DeAnthony Melton. 
um, on my board. And although I, I think he was one of the guys that when I started to investigate um, some of his like play-by-play stats, when I threw him into like the the mini model, like he didn't show up quite as well. I mean, he could definitely like shoot the shit out of the ball. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't like really a, a big rim guy. Like. He, he, one of the things I did see about him is I know Cole mentioned like there there was like some of the like defensive concerns slightly. I think when I looked at him, he had like and these are kind of admittedly like smaller numbers, but like he had good. I think he was like pretty highly ranked in like transition blocks actually. So I think I remember reading about him as like kind of like a high IQ guy, but potentially like doesn't just really have like a lot of the physical tools to be a great defender um but that was that was something that like i saw that you know if i were like probably really inclined to go back and watch a ton of film on him i'd be like all right like maybe let me look at his like kind of instincts and per se like angles and whatnot um i know one guy that i think uh landry shamet i think um I think Cole mentioned him at the very end of yep. one of your podcasts, but he was someone who showed up in my models as being um, quite high, uh, like point guard from Wichita State. Right? If you don't yeah. Remember. Right. Exactly. Um, like one of the highest, like I think, efficiency differentials this year in terms of like kind of like plus minus net rating. Like took care of the ball well. His three point shots. Like one of the things I liked about it was like. I think it was a good mix of assisted and unassisted, mm-hmm. like three-point shots. So, going back to your DJ Augustine love, yeah. like those un- unassisted <laughs> three-point shots, like um, you know, great, great free throw shooter. Um, good, like he was pretty efficient from the interior as well, but like did not take many shots from two, which okay. didn't surprise me playing from Wichita State and whatnot. Um, let's see, just kind of. Looking at my lists, um, Holiday, I'm not the biggest fan of. I know he's someone that's like being being mocked to to the Bucks. Um, I I mean I've I've known him just from kind of like watching from watching other guys on that team um, when I was with the team. So I would just kind of like peripherally mm-hmm. take notice of him. wasn't wasn't my favorite guy, especially like defensively. Um, he did seem to like put think from his numbers like a good really good like assisted number or like really good assist numbers to guys like especially on like all sorts of shots which it kind of brought me back to like I think what Dean Oliver did when he charted like Russell Westbrook he just happened to see that like when Russell Westbrook passed the ball to people this was back before the stats were even available like that guys just like converted shots better, like when yeah. they got the pass. I think that was. I think it's a very similar thing for Aaron Holiday, but I think defensively, his numbers just didn't show up that well. Um, Troy Brown. Uh, I'm trying to think who the other one I'd asked about was maybe Jacob Evans. Troy Brown. Um, the thing that popped out to me was like his turnover numbers was just like oof, rough. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, like that's part of it I, I don't feel really confident in saying like a, i mean he's one of those guys where it's probably just going to be like well you have to kind of grin and bear like yeah. grin and bear it with him doing what he's doing um he looks to be able to score like unassisted he's super young strangely um, enough we already mentioned him I get Jalen Brown vibes from him a little bit. All right, so so maybe that guy's going to turn out to no, be really, and, <laughs> really good. I didn't mean to bring up a source off, but like I just kind of think of a young guy as a freshman being asked to carry like a larger load. Yeah, and, yeah. and like that's going to hurt efficiency numbers. Right, and, and I will say that more than Jalen Brown, like Troy Brown actually did like show up pretty decently, like mm-hmm. in, in my models. If I or not. I wouldn't say decently, but I don't think he showed up as bad as Jalen <laughs> Brown did in like my the historical looks back, look backs. Jacob um, Jacob Evans for some reason I I did not look at just because I'm not even sure he's, he's fringy. On. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. Frank, anyone you are thinking about or what what do you got? No, I, I mean we could keep.
keep Mike here for like two hours probably. And I know we have to wrap up for, for because of you, Eric, uh, for scheduling. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no, wow. no, I, I showed up late. I got, okay. I got off a, I got off a plane uh, tonight, and and we had to start later, so it's really more my fault. But um, I, I think what about you know, a, what about like a second rounder? Like so again, the Bucks don't have a second round pick, but someone you want to buy? Sure. Um, just because uh, I do think there is some possibility that that occurs, and maybe that's just yeah. the hopeful part of me. That's like it'd be really great to buy a second round pick instead of the selling. Cra- right. The crazy pick. thing is, is that like I really haven't looked at mocks that much just i mean partly because like i haven't had to which is um and maybe you don't that's fine kind of the beautiful part i mean like i i would say like maybe jared vanderbilt like if he's like fringe first round Uh, it is funny that you mentioned vanderbilt and schmet because i think those are two guys that like might be there potentially like like, depending on how how draft goes right how the draft goes or like how high the the bucks would be like willing to like spend to come up there um, like I know, uh, Panava and Gary Trent, like, I'm not sure where those guys are supposed to go, but I know in, um, Cynthia's, um, uh, draft model that he did for nylon, like those two guys definitely popped. And those were two guys that didn't really pop in like my full model. But when I started adding some of the more like peripheral, like play-by-play variables in a smaller sample, they made like a big, actually like a really big jump up the board. So I'm thinking that I'd have to go look at them in specific, but I'm thinking that there might be some certain aspects to their game that are showing up well and also like where they played. And Yeah. All right. I think that's all we got. Mike, thank you for finally joining us. Yeah, uh, no problem. We've been, we've been trying to make it happen, and obviously when you're with the team, it was a little bit harder, yeah. a little bit easier. Probably everything I said today was just like nonsense. Some people were like, this is so generic. And, <laughs> just it doesn't matter and i think there was plenty of insight to be had there so uh we thank you for joining us uh that is going to be it for us for today i'm sure looking at the time of this this has gone on to our friday podcast so have a good weekend everybody we'll be back next week on monday we'll have three days to get you ready for the draft on thursday night thanks to mike thanks to frank thanks guys this has been lockdown bucks we'll talk to you guys on monday